fairies were often seen in Stowmarket. Nearly all of them had sandy hair and sandy complexions. But as soon as they saw anyone, they all vanished away. In the houses, after they had fled, on going upstairs, sparks of fire as bright as stars used to appear under the feet of the people who had disturbed them. One moonlit night, a man, walking along the road from Bury St. Edmunds to Stowmarket, saw a dozen or so of them in a field, dressed in sparkling dresses, like the girls at the shows at Stowe Fair, and moving silently hand in hand in a circle. The tallest of them was about three feet high, the smallest only doll-sized, and they were all light and shadowy, not like solid bodies. The man hastened home and persuaded three women to go back with him to see them, but by the time they returned, the little beings had vanished. lovely folks out there in the hinterlands. As always, it's your boys Rock and Max, and we're going to be your guides as we travel the marshes and fens of East Anglia in search of all things supernatural here at Nightmares and Daydreams, y'all. Welcome, everyone. Rock, this is going to be a fun one, methinks. We do love this type of folklore, Maxie. But before we dive in, uh, we'd like to remind you guys and gals out there in the hinterlands to continue to like, subscribe, review, and please grant us the boon of the sacred five-star review on whatever podcatcher you listen to us on. We ask so much because it's super important. Please do, gang. It helps our little pod get out there oh so much. And we want our little pod to grow into a mid-sized pod. And we can do that <laughs> with your continued help. So keep it up, good people. So, as y'all know by now, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate mm-hmm. all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. And of course... Oh, so fun. Fun, man. Fun is important, as our hard-partying audience surely knows. But Maxie, do you want to know what's not funny? Witches? Nope. Fairies? Uh Uh-uh. Dragons? While all those things (laughs) and more can be found in this curious little corner of England, wandering the marshes as ghostly hounds plod behind you. That's a thundering good line right there. Black Shuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Our longtime listeners will be familiar with Black Shuck from episode... What episode was that again? Uh, that's season one, Road Predators. Episode nine, I do believe. That's a good one. Good memory. Mm-hmm. Well, I looked it up. All right, <laughs> gang. So East Anglia is the home of the biggest and baddest of the Road Predators. Don't go walk in the lonely lanes after dark in that area. And if you do, let us know how it went. Yeah. If you make it back home or to your pub. Or to your Airbnb. Just let us know. Which reminds me, we want your stories. And Black Shuck is definitely one of the most famous road predators, at least in the English-speaking world. True, true. But how about we go back to the fairies for a minute, since our intro was about the good neighbors. The good neighbors, the good folk, the good people. Any way you slice it, they're good. And uh, (laughs) you always want to talk about fairies. I do. We need way more fairy content on this podcast. Hey, man, you do the research, we can do the pod. I'm totally up for that. Oh, more work involved? Never mind. <laughs> work ruins everything. All right, Maxie, so what do you want to say about fairies? 
So there are a gazillion fairy stories from East Anglia, which for those with a less than perfect knowledge of English counties and geography. That's me. (laughs) It's an area in the southeast of England comprising roughly Cambridgeshire, Norfolk, and Suffolk. Hmm. It's kind of a flat, marshy region surrounded by marshes and rivers. Kind of like Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) It's still pretty rural, even to this day, and it's well-known for hauntings by spirits of the dead and tons of legends of almost every kind, as we'll see. Mm, mm, mm. Man, that sounds like our kind of place. But, you know, what about East Anglian fairies? Interesting, and Max, I'm saying this, interesting how much the description of Sandy was applied in these stories, you know? Like, how was it Sandy? Yeah, I noticed that too. Like, color-wise. Yeah, we're often used to green being applied in terms of color to fairy nature. But here we have Sandy for some reason. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, if you're on the coastal plains and fens, maybe Sandy is more the natural color of the wilderness. Uh, Could be. Maybe it then gets transferred to the little people of the region. Well, you know, you got to blend in your surroundings if you're, you know, small. It's kind of a defense mechanism. Camouflage. Kind of like the predator. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Something along those lines. All right, Meg, so something else I want to ask real quick, just shifting gears here for a second. I just want all you folks out in the hinterlands to notice when the topic is fairies, we get none of Max's habitual skepticism. Where's the questions, Maxie? Where's the doubt? Why would I be skeptical of fairies, Rock? Because they're fake. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Stowmarket seems to be at the center of much of this fairy lore of the Anglian region. Oh, really? And many of the local humans seem to have taken them in stride. There's a story of one poor woman whose child was switched for a changeling. Yeah, we've definitely discussed changelings here uh, before in uh, our Fairy Encounters episode and as well as our Jinn episode. Yeah, for sure. And often such encounters were understandably traumatic. But this woman, this one that I was talking about, this woman from Stowmarket, mm-hmm. apparently raised the changeling as her own, oh. took care of it, loved it, and every morning when she woke up, She found money in the pocket of her dress. She was basically getting that money because she was like the proprietor of the old folks home for the fairies, right? You know? (laughs) Dude, that's interesting. You know, but I don't think reimbursing fairy foster parents is a super common practice. Is there more to the tale? Not really, actually. They must have lived a fairly normal and happy life because... That's pretty much the entire anecdote. Hmm. Though I wonder what happened to the human child raised in the other world. Hmm, hopefully they're okay. Maybe they became fae royalty or something. Exactly. Hopefully the fairy family were as loving as the biological human mother. No joke, man, because changelings are supposed to be pretty gnarly. <laughs> All right, man, so speaking of fairies in East Anglia, though, I don't think we can move on until we talk about one of the most famous and strange events in East Anglian history. And, you know, I'm not sure it strictly qualifies as fairy, but it's definitely fairy adjacent. I think I know what you're talking about, but go ahead. I'm sure you do, man. The uh, Green Children of Woolpit. Yes. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, Woolpit is only like 10 kilometers from Stowmarket. And in America, guys, that's like 13 miles or something. So it's pretty close. (laughs) Six miles. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're right, guys. Uh, Stowe Market must be like the capital of the fairy kingdom or something. Some ley lines going through there, something like that. I'm telling you, man. But why don't you tell us the story for those of us who aren't familiar? That's why we're here, my friend. 
The Legend of the Green Children of Woolpit concerns two children of unusual skin color who reportedly appeared in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk, England, sometime in the 12th century, perhaps during the reign of King Stephen. The children, brother and sister, were of normal appearance except for the green color of their skin. They spoke and understood only an unknown language of their own. They were taken weeping to the house of Sir Richard de Cain, where bread and other food was set before them. But they would not, or could not, eat. They ate some freshly cut beans, still on their stalks. They were brought into the house, and the children made signs that they should be given some of those. At first they opened the stalks instead of the pods, and not finding any beans inside began to cry again. But when they were shown how to get to the beans, they ate ravenously, and for a long time would not touch any other food. The boy, who remained languid and depressed, died not long after his arrival in Woolpit. But the girl flourished, and as she came to eat a normal Anglian diet, lost her green color. She was baptized and stayed for many years in the service of Sir Richard de Cain, although some say she was considered, quote, rather loose and wanton in her conduct. She was often asked about the place when she had come, and used to say that the inhabitants and all that they had in the country were green of color, and that they enjoyed no sun but a degree of light like what is after sunset. She explained that she and her brother had come from St. Martin's Land, a subterranean world inhabited by green people. So, I guess not all fairies of Anglia are sandy in color, I guess? Yeah, seems not. Not at least like 800 years ago. <laughs> Maybe climate change. Exactly. And I'm still not totally sure what the hell sandy even means, if I'm being honest, Max. Yeah. I mean, I hope that's not it, but can I just comment on one thing real quick? What you got? Well, you know, you said that maybe it was during the reign of King Stephen. Yeah, who was a king of England in the 12th century, I'm pretty sure. Well, see, that's kind of my point. So his right to rule was disputed by his cousin Matilda, whose father was actually King Henry I, Mm -hmm. and Henry had declared her as his rightful heir. And she was this awesome woman, actually, Empress of the Holy Roman Empire. Wow. But I guess a lot of the English nobles couldn't stomach having a female heir to the throne, so they backed her cousin, Stephen, the nephew of Henry the First. I don't think this is, you know, really our kind of topic, Max, but I'm assuming you're going to connect <laughs> somehow. No, you're right. But if any of you out there are interested in medieval history, just straight up medieval history, go look her up. And I mean, she might have been Faye. More on point, Geoffrey of Monmouth, who wrote The History of the Kings of Britain, one of the foundational King mm-hmm. Arthur texts, mm-hmm. put tons of propaganda into the Arthurian texts, supporting Matilda, who was his contemporary as the rightful monarch. Oh, yeah, Jeffrey of Monmouth. That dude got around. <laughs> Good old Jeff. Yep, all right. Well, dude, that's that's cool. But why don't we do another story to steer the episode back in the right direction, shall we? I got a story for you. All right, let's hear a good one. The ghostly coach of the Bygod family drawn by horses breathing fire and smoke, was said to drive regularly from Bungay to Geldiston in Suffolk. 
Like many such phantom vehicles, it could never be both seen and heard at the same time. Geldiston had another ghost, that of a skeleton found with a piece of millstone around its neck in a local pond. The rector ordered that it should be decently buried, but evidently it did not approve of this, for it would rise from its grave and haunt the lands around the churchyard. In more recent times, ghostly pedestrians have joined the spectral horses and riders on many of the roads. A few years ago, it said that motorists had seen a figure moving erratically at night across the Cambridge to St. Neots Road, causing drivers to brake suddenly, at which time the figure would vanish. Tons of ghost stories from the Fens. And Max, just for our listeners out there that don't know, what are the Fens? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that was good. Hard to even pick a few, to be honest. I mean, there's so many. And, you know, speaking of ghostly riders, there's a headless horseman at Icklingham, a village near Barry St. Edmunds. Barry St. Edmunds, Mm -hmm. whole nother story, but go on. Listen, the headless rider gallops around the marshlands up to the bridge. Just like the Sleepy Hollow headless horseman. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This guy, though, it said, you know, sometimes people only hear the hooves galloping, but can't see anyone there. Which is still pretty damn creepy. I mean, I'm not saying I want to see a headless horseman, but in some ways, I think that would almost be more unnerving to not be able to see it. No, man. Yeah, totally. It's like you're in the dark and you hear something and you can't see it, you know? Yeah. It's like, where is it? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So we talked about how replete with legends the area is, but I don't think we've conveyed how haunted it actually is. Oh, that's because you just keep telling us fairy stories. Let's get on to the ghost, baby. I told a ghost story, too. (laughs) How about we run through some of the local legends of East Anglia? Just to, you know, as you say convey the spirit or spirits of the place. Let's do it. What you got? All right, man. Numero uno. We talked about this cat. I mean, dog or predator. (laughs) Black shuck. Yup. Talked about him in our Road Predators episode in season one. How about this? I've got Gog Magog. Giants. Yes. Tom Hickathrift is another giant of the area. There's a lot of legends on that guy as well. Yeah, he's the one that supposedly beat the devil playing football, right? (laughs) That's the guy. So East Anglia might have more giants per square mile than anywhere in Britain outside of Cornwall. You know, I don't know if there's been a proper census of giant folk done, but... There should be. You might be right, man. (laughs) Speaking of which, lots of devil stories in the area, too. You gonna tell us a devil story? Hmm. How about this one? All right. All right. So in the village of Cambridgeshire... When the people of Thriplow began building their church in the village, the devil moved all the stones that they were going to use to build the church up to the top of a hill. Oh, scratch, playing tricks. Well, the villagers were too lazy or too smart to move them all the way back down again. So they just built the church where the stones were laid up at the top of the hill overlooking the village. (laughs) I mean, that's a good one, right? You get a better view. True. Also, mermaid tales. Yeah, you know, I don't think I'm familiar with any Anglian mermaid stories. Uh, In fact, I know I'm not. What do you got? Well, 
This is from the 19th century poet J.R. Withers. Uh, that's because it's a poetry thing, Max. <laughs> you know I don't got no fancy poetry books. All right. I'm sure the folks out in the hinterlands love it, so let's hear it, man. Oh, they will. And strange were the tales of the pond in the meadow, and eager we listened with eyes opened wide to those tales often told by poor Mary the widow, who lived in a cottage the meadow beside. Play not, my dear boys, near the pond in the meadow. The mermaid is waiting to pull you beneath. Climb not for the bird's nest, the bough it may sliver, and the mermaid will drag you to darkness and death. The tale is old as time, water creatures dragging us to our doom. Jenny Green Teeth, anybody? Yep. So a quick test, Rock. Uh-huh. What can you do to protect yourself against water spirits? All right, put me on the spot, baby. All right, some charms. Wear a cross around your neck. That's one. Uh, carry a dry piece of bread or toast in your pocket. Uh, you can also carry a handful of dry earth dirt. Nice. Any others? Yeah, the most effective is just to keep your damn self away from the water, right? (laughs) (laughs) Best advice of all. Okay, what other tales we got? All right, dragons. How about dragons? Do tell. All right. And everybody, we are going to do a proper episode on dragons, so... Oh, for sure. A little bit of patience. Okay, so this one, there was a winged dragon that once haunted the lands around Ludham, which is in Norfolk. It would roam the streets of the village every night, so no one dared to go, you know, to go out after dark. Probably wise anyway in the olden days. So each morning the dragon returned to its lair, and, you know, the villagers finally got sick of the dragon ruining their good time. Like, how you can have a proper happy hour if everybody <laughs> has to go home early? And that's an important question in England, man. Nighttime's the right time, as we like to say. Happy hours must be protected at all costs. It's like a national treasure. Dragons be wasting your flavor. Exactly. All right, guys, so this sober townsfolk decided to pile bricks and stones at the entrance of the dragon's lair as it slept in the daytime. Nice. Well done. Well, sounds like it, but it didn't work. It dug its way out. So one afternoon, the villagers were horrified to see it out in the daytime coming out of its burrow as it went to bask in the sunshine. And one brave guy, you know, he rolled a single giant round stone in front of the cave entrance while it lay out. So it came back and couldn't get back into its lair, according to the legend. And it's horrid, probably. It's all baby Smaug. (laughs) Smaug the Magnificent. Say Smaug, Max. Say Smog, Max. Smog. Smaug. All right. Anyways, (laughs) it began making a ruckus and thrashing its tail in a tantrum and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and laid waste to much of the countryside, eventually making its way to the ruined abbey of St. Bennet, where it slithered into the vaults underneath. That's probably a nicer den, actually. You'd hope. In any case, the old lair was filled in and the villagers never saw the dragon again. I mean, maybe it's just sleeping. And maybe one day it'll emerge. One can only hope. Never know. And, you know, I just want to say, like, that dude that rolled the stone in front of the dragon's lair. Some quick thinking. He had to be like He-Man or something, because how did that dragon not just move it out <laughs> yeah. of the way? These things bother me. Yeah, he's stronger than the dragon. It would be super rad to read about a modern-day dragon sighting. Do you agree? Yeah. Speaking of modern dragon sightings, remember the dragon sighting we read about in Green Bay of all places? Dude, totally. That's a good one. Uh, that's from one of the great Linda Godfrey's books. But 
Like you said, man, pot for another day. East Anglia seems like our kind of place, Maxi. Yep. Could we book that Airbnb in the future? For sure. We love to book Airbnbs and then cancel them when the legends get too frightening. <laughs> We're like Shag and Scoob. Yep. I mean, we don't want stuff to get too real, but mm-hmm. we do love snacks. Oh, true. And we totally canceled our Window Rock AZ vacay because of the Skinwalker story. So better safe than sorry, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keyboard warriors, unite. You know, hey, we've never advertised ourselves to be anything other than that. There are podcasters out there that are super down to go investigate the legends. Tony at the Confessionals, our boy Dark Waters, Josh over at PRT, another Austin-based show, as we said before. Great show. Check it out, gang. Josh and his crew do a great job. I need to listen to more of that show, actually. Yeah, they have a YouTube, uh, like a, they do like a live stream every Tuesday. It's actually pretty good. That sounds So, you know, like those folks want to get out, camp out, spend the money, gather a crew, head to Kentucky, the land between the lakes, or Louisiana, Mississippi, looking for the dog, man. And to that we say, hell <laughs> no. <laughs> you brave souls, you dear brave souls heading out into the hinterlands. You brave ones. To hunt for monsters. Mm-mm. Let us know how it turns out. We can always use the content. Exactly. Keep us updated on any monster findings, y'all. Max and I will report yeah. on whatever you find and expound on your courage or stupidity. Yeah, we'll be alive here in our exactly. library. Max has two <laughs> libraries, so win one of them. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, Rock. Ready to get back to East Anglia? Yes, I am, man. Why don't we start with a couple stories? Perfect. Swanton Morley Baldiswell. An ancient bony creature, half-clothed in rags, is how the 19th century woman, known as Daddy Witch, was described. Well known in the area as one of the witches who would gather at midnight revels in the fields, she lived in a ramshackle hut almost surrounded entirely by water, known as Daddy Witch's Pond. This was in a spot called Garrett's Close or Garrett Field opposite the village Sheep Pond. Upon her death in 1860, she was buried in the middle of the road that leads from the village to Horseheath Green, Howard's Lane, close to her hut. It used to be said that the heat from her body caused the section of the road to remain dry, even after a heavy rain. The memory of her was apparently still alive in 1935 when a fire was spreading along the road and was seen to reach her grave, then turn away and continue to burn across the nearby fields. Also in that year, it was reported that local children were told to nod their heads nine times for luck as they passed her gravesite. And here's another short one. I've heard it said that until recently there was a hole in the field beside the Swanton Morley Baldiswell Road. It was neither an old well nor a drain. It did not appear to have been used by fox, badger, or rabbit. Surrounded by coarse clumps of grass and bracken and of unguessed depths, the hole remained a mystery. A whisper spread that it was an entrance to St. Martin's Land, where it is always dusk, and where the green children live. These pixies have always been a constant trouble to the people of East Anglia. The hole was eventually filled. And one more for luck. The Devil and the Windmill. 
The wild and unpopular baronet Sir Barney Brograve was one of those landed gentry about whom all manner of unlikely tales seem to have gathered over the centuries. On stormy nights, he, like his ancestors before him, is said to ride between Warstead and his manor at Waxham, where he was also supposed to dine every New Year's Eve with six ghostly ancestors who all died in battle. Once, he wagered his soul that he could outmow the devil over two acres of bean plants. Although he won through trickery, he later sold his soul anyway. It may have been while the devil was trying to claim it that Sir Barney is said to have hidden in Brograve Mill, just in the parish of C. Powling. The drainage wind pump built by Barney in 1771 on the banks of the Waxham Newcut now leans heavily to the westward, said to be the result of Old Nick trying to blow it down to get to his old adversary. From HiddenEA.com Witches' graves? Troublesome barons? And possible portals to the land of the green children? Mm-hmm. East Anglia is straight up chock full of legends and lore. You love it. And then I say we go. What say you find folks of East Anglia? Want to host us? Mm-hmm. We'll spring for beers at the local pub. Careful, Rock. English beer drinkers ain't nothing to be trifled with. <laughs> I know that. You spring for drinks a couple of nights. That's the cost of flights and everything. Dude, you remember when we were at the University of Texas co-op back in the day and the foreign exchange European folks would come over to help with Rush? Yeah, of course. Dude, I recall us all going out for beers on the drag. Jeff, Vanessa, James, all those folks just drank us under the table. They were like, oh, you're not much of a drinker, are you? (laughs) (laughs) And this was like after we were like 10 beers deep or something. I know, dude. And as with all things in life, Maxie, there are levels and we were not at their level, that was for sure. I mean, you're not at my level, right? I know, I really appreciate you letting me hang around and bask in your radiance. <laughs> Actually, I'm not <laughs> at your level, but all right, you're welcome. So, as we see, East Anglia is pretty darn haunted. Like most of Europe, man, it's where the history comes from, as a great comic once said. <laughs> but more than that... Dude, it's like the landscape certainly kind of helps perpetuate that image you know not that i've been but the pics we pulled up are pretty wicked dude fog bad weather i mean the works you could see why we'd get that rep as just this ghostly haunted place totally i mean better than hollywood special effects in some cases yeah man like the landscape of the fens and the broads mist on the ground the marshes uh you know like the nearby coast that always seem to be battered by storms that's a haunted land party people And I feel like if you live in the area, it probably makes you more susceptible or even receptive to, you know, ghost stories and the the like. It's like it's a natural part of the environment, you know? Well said. So before we head out, let's get into one more story. Lead on, amigo. From a letter by Jean Batram, after she drove through the village of Rugam. About five years ago, we were having a Sunday afternoon drive, coming into Rugham and going along Kings Hall Street. I'd never been that way before, and up to the last bungalow, looking across the newly harrowed field, I saw the large house on its own, very, very plainly. I said to my husband, look at the lovely house. I'll take a look again on the way back. But coming back later, the house was gone. And I asked if we were on the same road, and he said, yes. So I remarked, how odd. 
as I knew very plainly there had been a large house standing on its own quite near the field with trees behind it. Nor was Jean the first person to see this strange vision. In her book, Ghosts of Suffolk, Betty Puttick christens the apparition the Rugam Mirage and goes on to talk about an eyewitness account from 1860 when another local by the name of Robert Palfrey saw a large red brick double-fronted house behind ornate iron gates only for the site to disappear in the blink of an eye right in front of him. Several decades later, his own grandson reported the same phenomenon whilst out with his horse and carriage. He drove past it and upon his return trip noticed the house, the large, magnificent house, was no longer there. From Myths and Legends of East Anglia. Dude, that's such a cool phenomenon. Like appearing and disappearing houses? And not just houses, whole estates apparently. Yeah, that's portals opening and closing is what that is. Who's to say? That'd be pretty cool to see though. Agreed, man. It would be cool to see and honestly a bit unsettling. You'd have to question yourself. Yeah. But gang, with that last bit of myth, we are done. So thanks for hanging out with you boys. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and grant us the boon of that Mm -hmm. oh-so-precious five-star review on whatever podcatcher you listen to us on. And gang, y'all want more nightmares and daydreams? Please consider supporting the show by heading on over to patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast for additional content. Tears start at a buck a month and you can cancel any time. Teresa Joy, our bard, keeps casting Charm Person with her amazing work on the show. She <laughs> does all the music and production for us. Find and follow her at Viobright on Facebook and Instagram. And also head over to her website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. Finally, y'all, head on over to our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net to holler at you boys. We ain't lying when we say we want to hear from you. Scroll on down and submit your stories. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.